Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Welcome to Defending in Numbers, the podcast where we walk through the corridor of uncertainty and try and learn a little bit more about football. And helping me do that today is a man whose favourite foreign owner who ever invested in the Premier League was Statsin Sinawatra. Remember him, Dave O'Brien? That is very, very nice. Thanks for the intro, Rob. Very impressed by that. I'm I'm not. I'm ashamed of it. And joining him today is Jake the Snake Entwistle. How are you doing, Jake? He went with the snake. Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I I was really struggling (laughs) with things that rhyme with, uh, with Jake. And I am Rob Armstrong, and I'll just sit here rhyming things throughout the show. Uh, things that rhyme with Rob. Nob, correct, Dave. <laughs> We've won. Ten points. Everybody has won. Uh, so, football happened this weekend, and football's happening the next weekend. So let's talk about some football and start with the week by numbers. The week by numbers. First number, Jake. I'm going to go for number 37. The amount of goals scored in the previous nine meetings between Arsenal and Liverpool in all competitions, or 4.1 goals per game. They meet again on Sunday. Is it going to rain goals between Liverpool and Arsenal? That means nil-nil, doesn't it, for us? Yeah, generally, generally in the advertising, if it's goals, 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 and there's lots of goals in the advert, you can guarantee it's going to be nil-nil. Yeah, but in, in all honesty, though, I think the Liverpool-Arsenal game is probably the one that goes beyond that sort of cliche, because... Even in even if you look at Anfield, the last four games have been twenty goals, which is even more. So the fact that it's happening there on uh, at the weekend, I think we can expect it mainly because both teams are, have got a completely opposite approach. Liverpool will look to sort of suffocate their opposition in the first twenty minutes, and they'll want to win early. Whereas Arsenal, notorious for starting slowly, so I think they play into each other's hands. Liverpool will dominate for the first twenty minutes. Arsenal might come back into it. You never know a little set piece goal which is uh, Liverpool's uh, problem at the moment. So I think it's going to continue. Yeah, Dave, it's two teams that sometimes look a little bit soft at the back. Uh, Arsenal tend to throw it away from anywhere, really. And Liverpool, (laughs) like you said, Jake, set pieces are their big downfall. So uh, is it going to be nil-nil? I don't think so. I think Arsenal defensively have looked very, very weak in the last few weeks. Especially, you know, we've seen Hesse playing the left channel. We've seen Jamie Vardy playing the left channel. I expect Sadio Mane to do the same thing where he'll dominate the space in between the centre-centre-half and the right centre-back. And that's kind of Arsenal's weakness. It's weird, you know, Wenger's going with Monreal as a middle centre-back when he's got the likes of Mertesacker on the bench that potentially be better suited for that position. And I just, yeah, Arsenal are a real, real strange one. They look really good at the end of last season. Like I was really impressed with what Wenger had done with this three at the back system. But now this season, it just looks so open. Open, but kind of leaky. Yeah, open but leaky. I think one man that's um, getting a bit of stick at the moment, Mesut Ozil, who doesn't really deserve it. I think that's one thing that the media is quite bad on, is jumping on lazy performances and this and that. But Arsenal's problem against Stoke was, you know, again, the space between those two players, but also Granit Xhaka positioning was pretty poor. You know, he's been good holding in midfield and he's been holding in midfield. You see the for the for the goal, how he just vacates the space and Mesut Ozil's getting blamed for tracking back. It's one of these things that it's a little bit interesting that the media targets certain players at certain times that are perceived to be lazy when, again, Wenger should be getting the best out of Mesut Ozil, not Mesut Ozil tracking back 50, 60 yards to make a tackle. Jake, there's one way we can guarantee that this is going to be a nil-nil. Should we give it a catchy title like Red Monday or Manchester <laughs> Monday or that is the way Terror to Tuesday, it, yeah. whatever it's going to be? Should we go for like... The Anfield Annihilation or 
something. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. That will most right. likely bring nil-nil and no shots on target. <laughs> right, tweet it out now and we can guarantee the nil-nil. Uh, stick defenders in your fantasy team. Next, number. It's number 34. And that's how many shots Harry Kane... Harry Kane? Harry Kane has taken in the Premier League in the month of August during his career without scoring a goal, which is 34 more than I've taken and the same number of goals that I've got. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Will he break his duck against Burnley? It's a good opportunity, Burnley, surely. I know, know obviously, the Chelsea game, they came out of the blocks, capitalised maybe on the mental red card happening in an 18th minute or whatever. It looked horrible in the second half. Conceded two to nine men, or however many it was. Uh, <laughs> some men, but yeah, some some amount of men. Are <laughs> Burnley the team that Harry Kane is finally going to bang one in the net in August against? I don't think so. I just don't think he likes August. It's just one of these <laughs> mental blocks for him. You know, he saw the performance at Wembley at the post twice. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. A player of his calibre just has a, a mental block, and it's interesting that psychology is a big, big thing in football. In terms of Burnley, have been, you know, I was quietly impressed how they took Chelsea apart with a man advantage. But then again, like you're saying, defensively, very, very poor. I think losing Andre Gray and signing Chris Wood isn't the best bit of business, to be quite honest. I think Chris Wood is quite similar to what they've already got in Sammy Vokes. So, I, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game. I expect Tottenham to win, but I don't expect Harry Kane to score. Jake, what's a bigger obstacle to Harry Kane, the month of August or the letter S? <laughs> Well, lucky he never says August then, because that's got <laughs> that's both. That's it. That's why he doesn't like it. He doesn't like September much either. No. Uh, do, do you reckon he? It's just a mental thing, or I, I, I think in typical Harry Kane fashion, he'll prove every like it's got to the point where everyone's aware of this now. Before the season started, a few people knew it. Everyone was captaining him fantasy football, but now everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two two out of three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And now well, everyone is aware that he doesn't score in August. So I think typically he'll probably bag a hat-trick against Burnley. Mm. And I just wanted to say as well, I thought he played really well against Chelsea. I was looking at his numbers of that game and it was the first time in a while that I'd seen him sort of roam as a striker. We saw sort of his complete skill set and he actually attempted the eight take-ons, which is the most joint most he's ever attempted in a Premier League game. He wasn't that successful with many of them. Um, but it just showed that he was so eager to score this goal. He obviously hit the post, which again, he tops that metric since he started playing in the Premier League 15 times since 2013-14. So I think it's all going to culminate in three to seven goals against Burnley this weekend. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle, but not an exact number, no. like 4.4. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 100%. You can't get better than that, Dave. And speaking of Spurs-Chelsea, that was Andreas Christiansen's pass completion rate in Chelsea's 2-1 win over Spurs at Wembley. Does that mean he stays in the team for the long run or is it just youth player comes in, he's done his job, now get back out? I don't think he's a youth player, he's an experienced Bundesliga star. Um, But at the same time with that, I think it's dependent on what Conte does with his system. I think the reason why Christensen you know, came out of the game looking so good was, wasn't his performance. It was David Luiz's performance. David Luiz was an absolute monster in front of the back three. And if, uh, you know, Conte sticks with this 3-5-2, which suits the players, you're thinking Bakayoko, Kante, both shuttle, both run. Um, David Luiz could be a bit of a playmaker there. He sort of did that last season in a way, moving out of the back three into defensive midfield. Now he's playing defensive midfield and looking very good. It also suits, you know, you're thinking Hazard's still out injured-ish. He's, you know, he's you know, potentially going to be on the bench this weekend. Um, but it suits playing a front two with Morata and maybe Willian off. Kind of this thing, it all's coming together, but Christensen was good on the ball. Of course, completing 100% pass accuracy against someone like Spurs at press that Harry is very, very, very good. But again, I think it's more David Luiz who won the joint most tackles on the pitch, made a number of brilliant interceptions, was just 
a real menace for Spurs in in that sort of area where Christian Eriksen and Deli Ali has unlocked them um, last season a few times. He just bossed it. So it was a really interesting performance from Chelsea as a whole. Jake, is uh, David Luiz going to carry Christensen all the way to a Ballon d'Or? <laughs> I don't think, well, defenders never win it, do they? So he's got no chance. That Can one, of, bald one did. Yeah, Cannavaro. <laughs> That's the one. Once. But he's captain of a World Cup winning team. So, But I, I agree that David Luiz obviously stood out and his he played his role perfectly. But um, I'd say that Christensen's got more of a chance. If they do sort of move back to a uh, three at the back without a holding midfielder so they can get three up front, then I think... Christensen would be perfect maybe on the left of David Luiz because looking at Rudiger's display, I, I thought he looked completely out of depth, really. Like the fact that I Great just mentioned... Great value the, 38 yeah, million or whatever yeah, exactly. Was, right? What I said earlier about Harry Kane having a really good game, he almost targeted Rudiger. And when you're getting like beaten for pace and strength by not the quickest or not a striker that's known for doing that, then I think there's some warning signs there. So I think if you slot Christensen either side of David Luiz, you've got uh, Azpilicueta on the right who completed the most passes in the Premier League last season. You've got that solidity there. And then you've got Christensen, who completed the most passes for uh, Gladback last season. You've got two people there that are going to get 90% pass accuracy every game. Make sure you're solid. And then you've got David Luiz, like they said, who can step out, who can fire the long balls, who can be more of the quarterback in a back three. So, so my analysis of that is that Christensen impressed and he probably deserves to start. But maybe... Like straddling David Louise on yeah. the left, but maybe not if someone better is available. Which they like, aren't, Dave. I, I think they the interesting aren't. thing with Rudiger is he, he, so that's kind of like how I, I saw him for Roma. That he's like he looks quick, he looks powerful, but if you put a ball over his head, he's really, really bad on the spin. And he's he's just one of these players that seems to have all the physical attributes, but just needs a bit of time. Needs a bit of time with Conte to coach him. And I think that's one thing that Chelsea don't have at the moment with all the injuries and suspensions and so forth. So. Could be a really interesting solution to play both that wore three ball players in a way, and then Chelsea could really dominate the ball. Four, Jake. <gasps> Another number. That's the number of assists so far this season by Henrik Mktikatikatikatarian. <laughs> After two Premier League games, he has four assists. Apparently, he only managed one last season. That seems insane to me. Man United playing Leicester on Saturday. How good are Leicester? They smashed someone last night. Sheffield United last night. Well, obviously, that's, you know, League yeah. Cup, Carabao Cup. The being drawn at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> at some point. Uh, Mictarian, is he going to pick up a bunch of assists on Saturday or is it just a early season purple patch? No, I think he's going to be dominant this season. I think he showed in pre-season that he was he just fancied it. It was it was his season. He feels like he's now Mourinho's main man at Manchester United. You see pictures of United or Mictarian, sorry, tweeting out pictures of him and Mourinho, no, just chatting to the boss. And I think that's where he's got in the squad. He's a very very important player. The interesting part last weekend against Swansea was how he didn't really dominate the game when you know when the when the game was 1-0 when United were playing against the 3-5-2 Swansea defended really well really compact United were trying to go through the middle and you know there was space for the wing backs they didn't get forward and it was the same sort of situation we saw last season but Mikotarin when he gets the space when he has the angle when he has an opportunity to play a pass that will create a goal will do that and we saw that as the game opened up Mikotarin's influence was you know with Pogba really started shining and the, the, you know the the one touch passes that he's done this season the one for Lukaku against Swansea and then the first week um for Anthony Martial that's an incredible skill. Like playing a through ball, you know, that's when the ball's not out of your feet and whatever. It's just an unbelievable attribute of a player that is going to be one of the best players in the Premier League for me this season. I expect him to do well against Leicester City. I'd like United to maybe set up playing the the four four one one that they ended with. Pogba as a ten, 
uh, behind Lukaku. Because I think the reason why that worked was because Swansea switched to a 4-4-2. Leicester City obviously have played a 4-4-2 since they won the Premier League or during that season. So it could be a really good opportunity for Pogba to have freedom to counter-attack with Martial, Mkhitaryan and Lukaku. I'd change it up this week. Obviously Mourinho's gone with two of the same sides. Now I'd switch it up. Now I'd go. Obviously Matic. Got to get him in the podcast, right? Are you, are you Again. interested in Manchester United by any chance, Dave? <laughs> uh, no, no. I've seen him a few times. Just, more, just watched him. Yeah, more, more, of a, more of a Bill Bow fan myself. All right, Jake. I thought Mictarian was meant to be fat. Like, I'm sure four <laughs> month, four weeks ago we were saying, look at this chubby old, what's it? What's he doing coming back from, <laughs> coming back from holiday with his big old belly? Now he's tearing it up. He just took a leaf out of Higuain's book, isn't he? <laughs> the fatter you come back in pre-season, the more goals. So if Higuain's getting 30 goals a season, Mkhitaryan can bag 20 assists this year. <laughs> but um, I, I agree with Dave's point completely about how necessarily at the beginning of the games, he's not sort of dominating from the off. But again, just watching him play at Dortmund, everyone knew that he was a, a great creator of chances. And um, three of those assists that he's got this season have come in the last 10 minutes of games. It just shows that when it's opening up, Man United have now got a man in the middle of the pitch. He was playing a lot out wide last season, getting thrown about all different positions. But now Man United have that man in the middle. That If they give the, him the ball, if they carry it up the pitch for him, they can give it to him in the final third and he might, he'll most likely find that killer pass. He's got Rashford that's tearing it up on the left wing, that's bringing it up the field. Matic and Pogba are great ball carriers. Matic doesn't get lauded for it as much, but we saw in the first game mm-hmm. week that he... He carried the ball, he completed all his take-ons. So now that Mkhitaryan's responsibility of bringing the ball forward himself and then creating, he's now just focusing on the last part and they're already reaping the rewards from it. Man in the Middle, my favourite Michael Jackson song. (laughs) Which leads me tenuously onto the number 24 for no apparent reason, which is the number of dribbles Neymar completed in his last two games in League One so far. 11, (laughs) League One. League League One. one. He's playing down at (laughs) Tranmere. In league, that's, that's how it's pronounced, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, got to put, put something in it like James Brown. That's the one. Anyway, eleven against. Oh god, this is another French sounding name, Guingomp. Guingomp and thirteen against Toulouse. No player competed more than ten in a single game last season. He already has three goals and three assists and one court case. Uh, Dave, how good is he going to be in in the? quote-unquote, Farmers League this year. Well, he may be, what, 8.7 million euros lighter? <laughs> Take on goals. That's going to rock him, isn't it? <laughs> in, in League One, he's going to be absolutely killing it. And I think, you know, what we've seen from PSG is a, is a hungrier side. I think that's the problem with PSG over the last few seasons is they just don't look like they really want it. Like, they've got all these players that have been signed from X, Y and Z, Pastore, Cavani. My favourite team. Lucas Moura and all this. But they just don't feel like they want to win. But I think now with Neymar, obviously, he's won before. He can bring that sort of mentality to PSG, and you've got the likes of Thiago Silva, who I think would be a, you know, almost bounce off him in a way. And they've got that good Brazilian element, Danny Alves, who's also a winner. And I think that's what PSG have and a got, winger. and a, and a winger as well. But <laughs> I think that's what PSG have created this this sort of um, off season. If they've now got winners, and I expect them to, you know, compete with Monaco for this title. Monaco surprisingly doing all right this season, scoring a lot of goals from set pieces. And I fully expect when Yuri Tilsman is integrated in the sort of Bernardo Silva role they'll start scoring goals and whatever as well. So it's going to be interesting, but I do expect him to score a lot. Yeah, give me a goals and assist prediction for Neymar. I think he'll get 15 of each, at least in, in Ligue 1. I genuinely think like, a lot of people are using the Farmers League thing to show why he's dominating, but I was, I was having fun looking at his heat maps 
Oh, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. you must have been having yeah. fun. Yeah. I highly recommend it, honestly. You don't know what you're missing out on. But genuinely, if you just look at his average position for Barcelona, it's it's funneled down the left. He does drift inside. But now at PSG, he's, his heat is everywhere. He's like a rash on the pitch. It's, <laughs> it's, it's red everywhere. Honestly, they're so Neymar's good. Neymar's on heat. They're yeah. so good to look at. He's just everywhere for PSG. And... Um, I've got numbers on his take-ons because I just thought it was... Oh, yes. I, it really was I, I a need, big Friday night, wasn't I, it? Yeah. <laughs> I needed to look into it. And so the 11 that he got versus Gungump in the first game, his debut was his, his record in a single game since he moved to Europe. And just the noticeable difference of what positions he's picking up in is the fact that uh, his 11, which was versus Espanyol for Barcelona, he created two chances from open play in that game. So, again, if you look at his map and where they take-ons were, they were all right on the touchline, which is a harder area to create from, especially when Barcelona haven't got a big target man you can chip it into and get that assist for. Whereas his 11 assists versus Gankamp, he created seven in total and six from open play. So, immediately, whatever the league is or whoever they're playing against, the positional change is what sort of unleashed Neymar. He was always a brilliant player and it's, it, it shouldn't be... League on people rate as well. There's deep, like everyone raves about Monaco. Monaco played so well against Man City. They shouldn't be taken lightly. And, and PSG didn't even score against Toulouse in two games last season. With Neymar and the team wreaking havoc in that number 10 role, they scored six. It's not down, it's not a coincidence that he's dominating these stats. He's given the role that he wants and that he has for Brazil. And he's just taking the league by storm. So we're done with numbers for now. <laughs> No, we're not. But we are going to move on. <laughs> I'll be bringing more. There, there will be more. Well, we're done with numbers from me. Now I'm just going to say, look, I'm embarrassed about something. Moving us smoothly on. Again. <laughs> to our section, I'm embarrassed to ask. Jingle me. I'm embarrassed to ask. Okay. All right. How should I go about pronouncing this one? Is it VAR? Edwin van der VAR? <laughs> the old VAR Wars? VAR for Vader? Uh... Ravi Vovara, Essex and English <laughs> batsman. Basically, I'm talking about video assisted referees, guys. And look, I know what it is. It's a replay, right? I've seen sports and everyone's had a go at it. Why is everyone else's videos better? Because every time they look at it in football so far, they seem to just either make the decision worse or just stick to the wrong decision they made in the first place. How, why, like, uh, Jake, I've seen it work properly maybe three times. Yeah. And, that, and that's including one weird Saturday morning where I watched some under-17s or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've, trial, they've trialled it in a lot of different places and I don't think any of it's been a huge success. Um, the, the one thing is that people aren't clear about what it's actually going to be used for. They've, they've noted down four reasons why they're, why they're going to use it and it's for goals, penalty incidents, red cards and mistaken identity. And thing is, like, if you've got that out there and people know that that's the four things you can use it for, that's fair enough. But people just see a decision and think, well, why isn't VAR being used for it? There's no, there's no, there's no clarity about what they want to introduce and, and what it's meant for. And there's just no, fl- there's no fluidity with it. If you look at um, goal line technology, that's, that's, pretty, that's come in pretty seamlessly. Mm. Like a referee looks at his watch. No one can be like, your watch is wrong. Mm. Like, it, I, I, lo- I love that. I, yeah. If anything, I wish like all goals were only just over the line because I, lo- <laughs> I love that replay thing where yeah. they zoom in on it. Yeah. It gets me so excited, even yeah. if 
even if it's hit the back of the net, <laughs> yeah. I'd like, I, I would love to see it, yeah. just in case. Just in case there's a chance it was an optical illusion. Yeah. Uh, Dave, I saw, when I was going through Twitter, which sometimes I do, Oh yeah. I saw uh, Kaka getting sent off after a referee looked at VA, VAR, mm. Edwin van der Vaar, and uh, he looked at it for about four minutes. And he basically saw Kaka rubbing his hand on his mate's face and then having a laugh with him when there was about three people having a scrap behind him and they sent off Kaka. Is that just a case of the referee being an idiot or is it a case of just what what is the like the VAR getting in, <laughs> getting involved, getting, it in getting involved when it doesn't need to be? <laughs> like a nosy stats, mate. Football. This is our business, you know. It's 11 versus 11, not a computer. <laughs> I think the big thing is it's supposed to assist referees. I think that's the big thing. I think four minutes to make a decision is too long. That's what Jake was talking about, the integration of VAR. It's something that they need to work on. That's the thing. It's a new technology that's not a watch that rumbles when a goal goes in. It's actually using the technology in, in conjunction with the game. Like I'd be putting in deadlines potentially for you know the testing of that. You've got a minute to, to check this out because they've got, they've got replays, right? How long did it take you to watch a four or five minute Four or five seconds, sorry. Replay. About four or five minutes, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So replay that's five seconds, right? You could watch that X amount of times in 90 seconds. You know what I mean? That's how quickly that should be. I think the decision with Kakao was wrong, but then the flip side of that, the Bayern Munich got a penalty at the weekend by VAR that Lewandowski tucked away that was a penalty, and it was a good decision. But again, you need to give the referees more power, not less power. And I feel like this is taken away from their authority on the game, where, like Jake's saying, people are like, oh, let's, let's VAR that. Let's VAR this. Let's, that can't happen because football's a fluid game. It needs to be kept fluid. It's not cricket. It's not rugby league. It's not got natural stoppages apart from half-time. You can't do anything at half-time. So it's one of these things where the technology needs to be used in conjunction with the referee. The fourth official, whoever's watching the VAR technology, needs to be good enough to be able to make a decision in 30 seconds and then stick with that. But also give the referee, you know, why, you know, for example, if a penalty's gone and the referee has made a decision and then he questions himself and goes, oh, let's have a look at it. No, stick with your decision. And it's about empowering referees and giving referees the better training and whatever to force them to feel like they're in a better place. But all that also comes in with, you know, things like not swearing at a referee, only the captain speaking to the referee that we've seen introduced in rugby. Cameras on the referee, I think would be a great introduction to football. Well, because Mike Dean would love that. Yeah, well, you can't do anything then, can you? You can't say anything to the referee because it's all there. And that's a big, big thing for some footballers, public image and so forth. It will change their opinions on what they say to the refs. So it's, it, I think there's technology should be introduced, but like the criticism that this is getting, it needs to be better from the officials, I think. And it also, one thing... I find with rugby, I think rugby, it works fairly well, but every time someone scores, they go to it. Mm. And you do, basically, a player doesn't ever run away and celebrate anymore. Not that I care that that's a big part of the game, but, you know, when when, you, when your team scores a goal and you're in the stands, you want to go mental. But then if you've got to wait for a VAR decision, <laughs> and like, oh, oh, all right, will it, is it going to get to the point where they're just going to use it loads and loads and loads? Or should they use the system... Like in cricket, another fast-paced, fluid sport, despite <laughs> what Dave says. Uh, clearly never seen T20. Uh, <laughs> cricket, you get you get two appeals, you know. Why don't you just give a, a captain two appeals per game? Yeah, I think... And if they get it right, it's fine. If they get it wrong, they lose an appeal. I think that's sort of a way to go, and, and, and that means that there'll be less decisions in total, completely as well. But just, there was one example that happened sort of pre-season. It was in the Dutch Super Cup. And it's like, th- this is a perfect example of just fluidity and appeals and stuff. Um, there was a penalty appeal. Uh, Vitesse, someone got brought down in the box. Feyenoord went up the other end and scored. 
and then the ref because they were in attacking transition which is the definition of when you can't go to a uh, review immediately Farnold scored the ref then looked back at the penalty decision gave the penalty Vitesse scored so it literally been a two goal swing because of one decision and there was everyone was just so confused about what had happened so there there needs to be this sort of guidelines like there needs to be set amount of reviews there needs to be you can only review a decision within 30 seconds or because otherwise you're going to have like five minutes of play who decides what's an attacking transition yeah they have to give it don't they I think the, the referees have to give the decision if they think there's some doubt they have to give it and then go to it right so what I'm saying so that doesn't happen so what I'm what saying there say. is that should be seamless there shouldn't be a moment where the guy upstairs, can you look at that decision again? In that transition, that transition probably took 30 seconds. That guy that's in the, the official should be able to make a decision to say, that was a penalty and he could blow up even if the ball's gone in or whatever and just go back. Yeah. I think that's the problem though. You have this period and this uncertainty that makes football as a spectacle for fans and an entertainment business. It kind of ruins it a bit. You know, one team scoring, and, you know, Surely there should be a bit quicker than that. Whether they did transition in 11 seconds, and I'm being a bit harsh, but at the same time, that's where you want technology. You don't want this gap. I think that's the big problem is this gap that we're, we're sitting there and, you know, in England, you can't have a beer on the terrace, can you? You just sat there like, oh, what are we going to do? Wait for this goal to go in. Sitting there with M&Ms. Yeah, just M&Ms, <laughs> munching them down. Five pounds for a pack of M&Ms. It's gone wrong, Rob. That's, I mean, that's a bargain at London Stadium. Get popcorn for eight quid. <laughs> <laughs> but my opinion, lads... Video assisted, video assisted referee. Not only is it hard to say, but also, it. I think. I think it's a bit naff so far. Are, are we all in agreement? Yeah, I think they need to pigeonhole it. They need to sort of introduce it one step at a time. So maybe for the next twelve months, only review penalty decisions mm, and yeah. work out how to do that. Work out how to make that seamless. Work out how to review a penalty within 20 seconds and give a penalty. Mm. And then you can start doing red cards. Then you can start yeah. doing second yellow cards, which isn't even in the remit at the moment. Mm. So they just need to do it bit by bit. I think they tried to force too much on the public at once. Robot linesman. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> on to who's this fella. Who's this fella? Eve's that fella. <laughs> Imagine Eve just sitting there listening to a football podcast. <laughs> What's she up to now, Eve? This shouldn't be who's this fella. This should be, this should be who's this fella about... Former R&B singer, Eve. Where's Who's Eve? that girl? Where's that girl? Yes. <laughs> Eve. And what does she think about Tottenham's record signing, who Danny Rose might need to Google? Davinson Sanchez. Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Davinson Sanchez. Davinson Sanchez. Who is he? And what's what's his what's his game? What's his what's he all about? He's centre-back. Right. Colombian. Right. Ajax last season. Yep. Got, uh, got bullied by Mourinho in a final. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. He got targeted, should we say. Man United. Bullied. Pressed um, Ajax in a way where he was given the ball. He was the free man at the back. He's a good ball player, but I think the occasion may have taken him and his decision-making wasn't great. What? Well, that's promising for a team that plays all the games at Wembley. <laughs> but I think he's got the raw materials to be one of the best centre-backs in world football. You know, we've seen what he's done in South America. Now we've seen what he's done for Ajax and now Tottenham. He will go in and win the ball. He will go in and, and just completely turn over win the ball and then make a drive and run forward. He's a very fluid player. He's a player that could play a number of positions and potentially four spurs. It may be at right back. We've seen Carl Walker gone. Um, you know, Kieran Trippier in the first few games has looked pretty poor. I'm not a massive fan of Kieran Trippier. I think he's been massively overhyped by his assist numbers last season. But Deverson uh, Sanchez could be that type of player, very energetic, pacey, strong, 
Looks like um, you know he, he could whip a ball in. He's you know wasn't last season in wide areas, obviously playing centre half with Delit. I think that was a really interesting part as well. Ajax had a centre half that was seventeen and twenty, and they got to the Europa League final. I think it shows Peter Bosch's coaching, the now Borussia Dortmund manager, but it also shows the quality of both of those two players that they dealt with. You know the second tier of European strikers comfortably. And they looked oh, very very lost. good <laughs> in the final. Yeah, so they lost. They didn't cope. <laughs> They coped, they coped a with a sixth, a sixth place Man United who didn't have Zlatan. What's your point? I'm just saying, prove to me. Uh, say, Jake, Dave says, <laughs> Dave says he has the raw materials, but Ravel Morrison had the raw materials yeah. and he's sitting on the bench wow. somewhere. Oh, yeah. wow. Right? What, what's yeah. what's, what's going to make him worth the big money? So he's already, he's played in big stages already. Like, I, I, know you said, <laughs> I know you said he didn't win. I'll tell you what he did win. In 2016, yeah. In 2016, Atletico Nacional, Colombian team, won the Copa Libertadores, which is the South American Champions League. And he played every single minute of every single game at centre-back. It's <laughs> <laughs> classic. Let's see, when anyone does well, that's everyone's response. No one, no one praises players anymore. Well, you should, say, you should see how I praise farmers. I'm yeah. like, oh, <laughs> pedestrians. Yeah, footballers. <laughs> Farming against a bunch of footballers. So he's basically won, he's won the South American Champions, Champions League, League and yeah. he played every single minute. Yeah, and they conceded six goals, none in the group stage. And that's 14 games. So how long was, it, was he only at Ajax for a year? Yeah. And he won player of the year in the first season. And that was, so he was awarded player of the year, which at Ajax, they, is prestigious. Like whoever gets that is, is the real deal. Like players like Kasper Dolberg and, and David Klaassen that was there last year, we've seen him come to Everton. That, that was some tough competition and, and Davinson Sanchez won it because I think it's because of his style of play. His coach again, back in Colombia, sort of said to him, he used to play in midfield and he said, you're so fast you need to be at the back. You are so <laughs> That's what he yeah. said. That was his one, he said that's his defining feature. Everyone was looking at this uh, muscular build, the fact that he could bring the ball out and he could pass the ball. He completed, oh, he played the most passes in the Eredivisie last season. Any player. That's not just Vyax, that's any player. And so he's comfortable in that. He's a monster in the air. He was joint highest winner of aerial duels for Ajax. But it's his recovery pace, which everyone is sort of almost sleeping on. Like every the first time you see Davinson Sanchez cover his fullback, fly across and win a sliding tackle, that's when fans will get off their seat. And he's got that ability as a centre back. And I just think Dave said that again, he could be used as a right back. He's got this pace and this power that you could see like Carl Walker, that was his defining trait, strong and fast. Maybe Davinson Sanchez could work there. I personally think he'll slot perfectly into the back three with Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen. Because there are similarities Again, sort of, you've got Alderweireld, the the quarterback, like I mentioned earlier, like David Luiz. He's the he's the main ball player in that three, and then you've got players that Jan Vertonghen and now Davinson Sanchez, who are completely comfortable. If there's space, they'll drive into it and they'll keep going, and they're also quick enough to cover Alderweireld if he gets caught. So I think they've got the makeup now. All of us, all of those three, obviously used to play for Ajax as well. <laughs> so they've got that sort of DNA. They've got that synergy. They all understand and want to play the game the same synergy. way. Oh God! What a football that. term! Well yeah. good. We've got an Ajax back three. That's yeah. sick. <laughs> so I just think he's made to succeed there, and, and obviously he's going to need time. He's he's criticised quite often for using the speed to launch himself into tackles, almost like Lauren Koscielny used to do when he first came to the Premier League. These defenders that are quick always think I can get the ball. I can get the ball first. So he needs to rein that back, but I'm sure Pochettino will love coaching him how to defend in well, his way. When he has his first injury, which he will, and hopefully, and that yeah, well, I'll give it to him. No. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, how much how much smoke are we blowing up his ass just because he's young? Because you can tell me that someone's been great in the Dutch league, and I'll say Alfonso Alves scored seven goals in a game <laughs> there once. Once, so I, as far as I'm concerned, that's not proving anything to me. But is this all just because of how young he is and how fast he is? Because eventually pace goes. He might, you know, pull a hamstring, and if he does. How good is his decision-making? As If you take away that pace, how good is he as a defender, Dave? I think the big thing that Pochettino needs to work on is when he gets a bit giddy. I mean giddy when he when he steps out the back line and goes and yeah. presses by himself. That's where Leon, that's where Man United kind of caught him out, where they, they kind of drew him out and it left the lit. Do you mean the second tier of strikers? <laughs> the second tier of strikers, exactly. Like Marcus Rashford is not second tier, Rob. <laughs> and Lacazette. And Lacazette also, is not yeah. second tier either, is he? Um, but anyway, going back to it, yeah, so Jesse Lingard is. <laughs> I think that's where a back three could actually help him out a lot because if he does go, if he does get a bit giddy and does press out and does go and try and win the ball, yeah, you know, he will win it 70% of the time. But there is that time when it gets caught out where in a back four, they, the other players need to react and, and sort of move in and become back three. So it's that very much stopper versus sweeper type of centre-back. He is a stopper. Um, and it's just that decision-making needs to get a bit, of better, bit better. But under Pochettino, you know, he's the guy that could teach him to be a very, 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 very good player. But again, the back three, it allowed him to step out. Spurs make a back four, sorted defensively. So I think it's it's a very good sign. And it's a almost shrewd signing in a way where you know what Davidson Sanchez can become, what he's done already at his, you know, he's 20 years old already. You know where he's going to get to. Seems like a clever thing for Spurs to sign another young player to join their sort of young core because that'll keep, keep them together. I think the thing with Dortmund, the thing with Monaco, they don't have players that have got the same sort of age bracket. That can, that can be like, right, lads, we, if we go grow up together, you know, these players are going to come and go, the fullback's going to come and go. But if we grow together, we could be something really special. I think that's a good signing from Pochettino and Daniel Levy, who's been absolutely slammed in the transfer window. Great signing for Daniel Levy. You can sell him for four exactly. times yeah. in a couple yeah. of years. Well, well, he's already rejected Barcelona. So, yeah, yeah. So they yeah, wanted well, to... We'll, we'll see how long that lasts. They, that's what I mean. They wanted to play him in the B team. So he said, no, I'm going to play for Ajax every game. And he's just... Uh, burst onto the scene. Tottenham have bought in, and then, as you said, it'll be two years maybe. If he if he does get off to the start that we all think he will, he might need that sort of bit of coaching to make him mm. a little less rough around the edges. But uh, he, I think I already think he's a quality player. So as you said, he could be gone for hundred million. Knowing the the market these days, nice for him to get a taste for trophies before he leaves. To uh... <laughs> oh no, because he didn't. Because Ajax didn't win the uh, Europa yeah. League, did they? Because he was playing in as well, didn't they? Yeah. 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 So. He, Spurs is about right then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, can, he can keep lusting for trophies until he gets that big move somewhere else. <laughs> and on that note, let's move on. From my, my shots fired there, let's move on to the Stat Showdown. Stat Showdown. Seamless transition. You're welcome. I had a pair of uh, pants once that said they were seamless, but basically it just meant they had no hole in. Turned out it was just an inconvenience, really. We're done talking about my pants. Let's talk about stats. <gasps> Everyone who's listening, get... Ennio Morricone, music in your head. Particularly maybe the Ecstasy of Gold. That's the one I was referring to last week, Dave. You you were there as we were talking about Good, the Bad and the Ugly. <laughs> Today, let's talk about maybe for a few dollars more. But there is absolutely no money at stake here. There is <laughs> there is hardly even any pride at stake. Uh, Jake, it's your first time on. I'm going to come to you first. The first to two. Basically, the best two out of three in the stat showdown wins. Imagine if you had a gun, but one of you takes two shots in the head to die. Because okay. you've got a rock-hard cranium. Yes. You'll survive, you'll survive the first. The buffer of stats you can in take front one, of it. You can take one hit, and everyone knows chicks dig scars and stats. So you'll come out of it with a cool scar and lots of stats. Uh, Jake, you're Here taking the first shot at my man. 
Right. As Neymar was mentioned earlier, I've saved a big one now. Oh. So we yeah, talked off the bat with a big one. He so wants we, an early lead. we talked about the take-ons that he completed against Toulouse. We certainly did. And that number was only beaten by 11 teams in Europe's top five leagues. <laughs> so excluding PSG, that means 90, out of 97 teams that played at the weekend, only 11 combined completed more take-ons than Neymar. Mm. So he was better than 86 teams. That's how much he's dribbling. It's quite a lot of teams. And he's taking the, he's taking the mick. He's just having so much fun. It's quite a lot of teams and the other top four leagues aren't farmers. Mm. Dave, do you have any good farming statistics for me? Um, I do have a farming... <laughs> so do about the yield. <laughs> a farming statistic from the south of Italy. Oh. Um, we're going to go to Naples. Oh. Uh, Maurizio Sarri, obviously uh, guiding Napoli to the Champions League group stages with a good win over Nice this week. But a player that's really had some good impact under Sarri um, is Lorenzo Insignia who scored around 35 goals in 4,037 minutes. That's been directly involved in a goal every 115 minutes. The interesting part about Insignia and Sarri is how he's sort of changed. In terms of, you know, these goals in Serie A, he scored 45 in his whole career. Half of those have come under Sarri. And in terms of his shots per game, they've doubled under the Italian maestro. So I just want to just give some Insignia and Napoli stats, because they're obviously playing Atalanta at the weekend on Sunday. Okay. So what you've told me is he's moved to better team and gets more chances no no sorry the manager yeah has had a big impact on insignia who has been at napoli for his whole career forever forever okay manager player manager combination more more lad simple as anything he scored more goals i see that kind of stuff happening at under 16 level dave you know when one of your friend's dads gets sacked and a different friend's dad comes in (laughs) and just gives you a bit more responsibility rob you're gonna be my number 10 (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Dave, but I'm not letting your son, Lorenzo Insignia, cap- captain this team for this round. I'm giving well, this one to the king of the take-on, Jake Enwistle. Yes. <laughs> but, Dave, you can, you can reply straight away. Get the rifle out, the stat rifle. That, Rooney. Yeah. It's going to be my stat okay. for the second one. Right. Of course, Rooney scoring his 200th goal in the Premier League last weekend for Everton. Mm-hmm. Expect him to do a similar thing next weekend for Everton. Out of those, his 200th goal again. Out of those 200th Impossible, goals, he scored 153 with his right foot, 26 with his left foot, and 21 with his head. But the interesting part is how many winning goals he scored for um, Manchester United and Everton in his career. 25, in fact, winning goals. So that's when Man United or Everton have been drawing. And they've gone on to win. But he's also won um, both Everton and United in that time, 34 Premier League matches. In terms of the player that's assisted Rooney the most in his career, of course, it's Cristiano Ronaldo with 13 assists. Hold on, how can he have won them 34 games if he's only scored 25 winning goals? So he scored 25 winning goals. Yeah. So that's taking a, a game from a draw to a win. Right. The 34 matches comes when he scores braces, when he scores hat-tricks, when he scores four goals. Okay, any more questions? I'd, yeah, that still doesn't make so sense. A winning, a winning goal is changing a game state from a draw to a win. So nil, nil, one, one, two, two. Yeah, I've got that That's one, one goal. Yeah, right? I, that, that was the part I was yeah. clear on. But then Rooney but, also has scored more than one goal in games. For example, like four goals, hat-tricks where the opposition may have scored one goal. So Rooney's won them those games as well. But that's still... So you're too confused. I've, I've blown your you, mind. Wait, what was the 34? That was how many games he's won. That's how many games he's won with his But then if he scored goal. a hat-trick... Yes. One of them's still a winning goal. But it's not the winning... It's not changing the game state from a draw to a win. Think of this. Jake, <laughs> Jake bring it back for me, please. All right. Um, I'll go with the Liverpool Arsenal fixture this weekend. And Sadio Mane has the chance to make them his best opponent and by that I mean that in the Premier League if Liverpool win Sadio Mane plays he would have beaten Arsenal in his career six times it'll be the third with Southampton and 
um, it'll be the third with Liverpool, sorry, and three with Southampton. And if he scores, they'll also be his joint favourite team to score against in, in England. Jake, you've just killed Dave. And you're this week's Stats Showdown winner. On debut. Woo! But Dave, while you're lying on the floor, I'll, I'll, I'll take this to a third round, just so you can, you know, you're lying there and you want to give him something to remember you by. I'll give you one final shot. But you, you, you take your, your last stand from the floor now. In his last six Premier League games against Arsenal, Firmino's been directly involved in four goals. Oh, God, you're so you're so getting finished, don't you? <laughs> Jake, come on. This feels like rubbing salt in the wound now because it's a Man United stat. All right. Um, if, uh, if Romelu Lukaku scores in the next Premier League game, he's the first Man United player ever in Premier League history to score in each of his first three games for the club. It's a good stat, but you know what? Romelu Lukaku has just scored too many times against West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, you're, you're giving Jake a big old, <sighs> give a big old shiner. But now, obviously, at least I got the scar. scars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. chicks dig scars. Like, that was my stats. plan all along. So now he's got it all, and you're just there, bleeding expected goals out of your ears. Well, that's it. Now we actually are done with numbers, lads. That was defending in numbers, Dave. If people want to see you let yourself down some more. On the internet, where do they go? I don't let myself down on the internet, only on the podcast, Mike. <laughs> Check me out on uh, YouTube. Statman Dave, simple as anything. Statman Dave. Statman Dave. Statman Jake. It's not that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it's, originally, it's just my name, Jake Entwistle, on Twitter. That'll be the best place for me. At Jake Entwistle. Yeah, E-N-T-W-I-S-T-L-E. There's no H in the whistle part. And that's uh, the at sign. Not at. Not at. Or <laughs> yeah. not a hashtag Jake Entwistle either. He, he, won't, he won't see that. He won't reply to that. And you can find me tweeting once every turn of the season. <laughs> at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. Those seasons, oh. they change every three months. I can tell you that much. There we have it. Defending in Numbers. We'll see you next week. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. Deezer. Deezer. Originals.